0: Everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Guiding Light podcast. My name is Shane McClellan, and I am going to be your host for each of these episodes. I plan on having a guest on board for each episode as we talk about cruising and travel, which is the emphasis for this podcast and for my website. This first episode, what I'd like to do is give you some information about myself and, you know, that type of thing so you can get to know me. I originally was born in Dallas, Texas, spent my first 21 years there before I moved to Colorado because, well, quite frankly, Texas is extremely hot during the summer and Colorado has mountains. I went to the University of Colorado being a buffalo and graduated with a business degree back in 94, I lived in Colorado for about 18 years. I was a volunteer firefighter for the city of Golden for 10 years. And as an income, I was a recovery auditor, which was not nearly as exciting as I think you might think it is there. I'm being a little facetious there because it was about as boring as it sounds. But it was a good job and, and I did have a good boss that I worked with but in late 08 decisions were made in my life that I wasn't a part of and I just decided it was time for a change I had about 13 different things that happened in a three-month period some of them were good some of them were bad and it just led me to believe the guy was saying hey if you want to go cruising on a boat go do it so that's what I did I sold everything I owned I sold my house. I sold pretty much all my stuff except maybe a carload of clothes and kitchen utensils and a few knickknacks that I wanted to keep and that type of thing. <laughs> I sold everything and bought a boat. I bought a 41-foot catamaran. And for 2009, I worked on the boat and got it all ready. And 2010 and 11. I spent my time cruising the Gulf and the East Coast of America and then the next year I did the Bahamas. Had a wonderful time but of course I was running out of money, needed to start my business so I was able to get my license and I sailed my boat all the way down to the Virgin Islands where I have spent the last seven years running charters where people come on board for a week at a time and I sail them around and show them the best vacation of their life. The last two years, I have stopped in the Virgin Islands in around mid-April, and I went cruising myself. And I took some people with me, but I went cruising and did the Leeward Islands, which is a northern part of the Caribbean last year. And this year, I spent a couple months in the Windward Islands. I plan on being in the Virgin Islands one more season, and then next (coughs) April, I'm going to take off for the last time, and I'm going to spend the whole next year, and we're talking the winter of 19 and all of 2020, doing the leeward and windward islands again before I sail to Central America, where I will spend a couple years exploring there, running charters there. That's a little bit about me. I think a better way to find out more about me would be to talk to the most fantastic woman in the entire world which is my mother and she is going to actually interview me and has different questions for me so right now I would like to introduce my mother Deanna
1: hello and how are you
0: well I am good how and are I you hope
1: our people out in podcast land are having a good day
0: that's she- wonderful do you even know what a podcast is <laughs>
1: Not not so much, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> that's okay, you're here doing it anyways. That's
1: exactly right. Okay. So as a, as a mother, the things that, whether your child is a newborn, six months, 16, or an adult like Shane, your concerns are that they're healthy, that they're safe, and most importantly, that they're happy. So some of the questions that I have are related to those three things that I have for Shane. So I guess, you know, starting out being a mother, you always think about moms as feeding kids. So I really kind of want to hear what you eat on the boat and how you go about preparing food. I've been on the boat. And so I, I know a little bit about, you know, what it looks like, but I've not been on there when there was a charter there and you're trying to manage all the things that go with that. So, If you're on the boat and it's time to eat how do you what do you do
0: well and I think these are gonna be some good questions because you usually ask a lot of the questions that everybody else has so um, as far as food for the most part I eat whatever I eat at home I eat on the boat Uh, about the only thing I can't prepare on the boat is a turkey my oven's just not quite big enough for a turkey now, oh, I will admit, I use more canned goods because it lasts longer and it's just difficult sometimes to get groceries because you have to first off get to shore and then you got to get to the grocery store. You got to get your groceries. You have limited space and get it back and that type of thing. And then when you're out cruising or sailing across the ocean or whatever, there's no grocery stores, you know? So we do a lot more canned stuff that is easy to keep stocked and that type of thing as far as when i have guests on board i buy groceries the day before the charter and i buy everything for the entire week i pretty much and you know i do a lot more fresh stuff and that type of thing but i'll cook whatever and usually what i do is i have i kind of stop whatever we're doing about an hour to two hours before it's time to eat so i can prepare the meals that I'm gonna make them. I only cook three dinners a week for my guests, and they eat out the other times.
1: Okay. Well, um, as the mother of three boys, you and your two brothers, I tried to make you all self-sufficient, but I'm not sure that I I always did that. I'm not really, I'm not sure how you learned to cook. I know that you did come in the kitchen some and and help me, but as a teenager until you left for college at 20, I don't remember you ever really cooking a whole lot of meals, so... Well, that, did... that hurts. Well, you cook some, but you...
0: Joel and I... Joel's my best friend, and he'll be on a future podcast, but Joel and I, we, especially with, through the Boy Scouts, we really looked forward to cooking on each of those campouts and took it as right. a challenge instead of just doing tacos. We tried all kinds of things, including making pizza on a campfire out in the middle of the woods and. I won awards for my cobbler from one of my Boy Scout camps, and so you know, I it was.
1: So it was more that you were cooking at Boy Scout camp, and that's kind of what I wanted you to talk about because that's where you really that's where it perfected started. Perfected yeah. your cooking skills. Well, I definitely
0: wouldn't call it perfecting at that point. Well, but... but you
1: became very imaginative with what you what you put together, and between you and Joel, you could come up with things that were. Um, that other people didn't think of to cook.
0: This is true, but I would say, and then, you know, in college and after college, I definitely cooked. Um, You know, some of that time I was by myself and I would cook one thing and it would last an entire week. But during that period, I probably only had six or seven uh, recipes that were my go-to's. It's really been since I started the charter business that i've gotten into learning more i mean i didn't cook any seafood before and now i cook quite a bit of seafood because that's what a lot of people want and so i've learned a lot of techniques a lot of recipes uh, um, plating is probably my weakest point i'm still what? plating where that's where baking it look pretty oh okay. you know because that's important when you're serving food yeah. you know you gotta make it look pretty and of course another charter captain he's like yeah apparently all pretty really means is you used to put your your veggies over here and your starch over here and your main course here and now you just stack it on top and that is plating it
1: okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) but um it it definitely has expanded my cooking being charter boat captain where i actually do quite a bit cooking even though i am the captain and so that's where most of it's come from over the last 10 years i would say 75 percent of my repartee if you will came from doing that
1: so you mentioned seafood and fish do you fish off the boat
0: the answer is yes very small and no very big Um, we do fish off the boat it's basically trolling it's more when you're going between the the big islands not in the bvi you're not going to catch much you want to cook but um, we can do trolling but at the same time a lot of times i'm sailing by myself and i don't want to fish and sail myself at the same time because as soon as i get a fish i'm gonna have to do something else and that type of thing i won't let anybody fish overnight because it's dark and safety first type of thing but if we have someone else on board that wants to fish i will help fish with them as long as it's, the conditions are safe and that type of thing.
1: Okay. So when you're cooking, one of the things that you really have to worry about is water. And that would be to me you know, you think about water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. So if you're out and away from someplace to get water for several days, what do you do? Does that limit what you can do? Does it limit shower time? Does it limit?
0: A lot of that comes down to the guest i carry 100 gallons on board and i without you know and i can serve you know you don't want to let the showers run and you don't you know you basically you turn the shower on you wet yourself down you turn it off you soap up then you turn the water back on you rinse off and that's it that's your shower when you brush your teeth you shut the water off while you're brushing your teeth when you wash your hands you shut the water off all these things really add up but on you know, outside of that, I don't go out of my way. It's not like I try to take a shower with a teacup of water or anything. You know, I, I take a shower that I need to, but I do turn the water off. But even with that, I by myself I could go a month or more on a hundred gallons. Wow. Now if we need to make water, on the charters we're usually in a some sort of cruising ground type of thing, so we can always go to the dock to fill up if we need to. And I've definitely had guests that we've needed to more than once during a week. But a lot of times my guests are pretty good and we may just have six or seven on board and water doesn't last a full week, so I have a water maker on board. And what it does, you know, not to get too technical, but it basically takes the seawater and it shoves it through a membrane at such a high pressure the membrane keeps any salt or impurities out and only lets the water go through. And I can make 20 gallons an hour with that system. Really? Yep.
1: Water out of seawater. So when you go on shore and get water, is there just a hose laying there or do you have to pay for I mean, how do you... You
0: always have to pay for it. Okay. And... In the U.S., if you're in the U.S., that might not be accurate. You could probably get the water for free, but pretty much any of the islands, you are paying anywhere from 20 to 30 cents a gallon, and some places I've seen has been 50 cents a gallon. And it is, it's a water hose, and you put it into your tank and you fill up, and they have a little meter on it.
1: And no one's gotten sick?
0: Of course not, no, because it does go through a charcoal filter, and any of the marinas, that sell water to you, it is potable water. There are some places they have water, but it's just for hosing down your boat and that type of thing, and you don't put that into your tank. And there are some boaters that don't drink their tank water, they drink bottled water. I don't understand why they do that, because my tank is clean, I put clean water in it, and it goes through a charcoal filter, so there is nothing wrong with the water that I put out, and most of my guests agree with that, they drink that water.
1: That's good because I think we have created a whole system of water bottles that...
0: Well, and you know, several times a year, I get on my soapbox and my biggest thing, not just water bottles. And this is for everyone listening. Single-use items are evil. (laughs) Single-use water bottles are bad. They are all over the world. You can go to the most isolated beach in the world and there will be water bottles on it but they also single-use straws, single-use utensils, paper plates, all this stuff you just don't need. So what I do on my charters is I give out a water bottle, a reusable water bottle everybody gets it; it's got the guiding light on it, and they get to take that with them and use it at home once the charter's over.
1: That's good, that's good, because I think that as a society, we do need to be much more careful about our resources that we have and even as an old person i'm saying that and your dad and i try to do that we try to 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 recycle and take care of the environment because and to we me
0: were, another one of the on the subject which is not what this blog is about right. but you know well, on the subject okay. what really irritates me also is manufacturers and how much wasteful packaging they use on products And it just irritates me so much because a consumer can try to use less plastic. But there are some, let's just say lunch meats, and they'll put it in a plastic bag, which is fine. It's safer and it keeps it better. But then they put it inside a plastic box. Why do we need that? Or orange juice, you know. Minute Maid puts it in a cardboard carton. Tropicana does this huge, giant plastic jug. Why, why do we need the plastic? Use the cardboard. But that's just me. I'm getting off the soapbox okay. now.
1: Back to the, to the boat, because that's what this was supposed to be about. So when you're on the boat, you're living on the boat, and I've been with you, so I kind of know what that's all about.
0: Yeah, you spent, but, what, 10 days in the U.S. in the Spanish Virgin Islands right. going to Puerto Rico. And that was 2013, I think.
1: 2013. And then you have to remember, we went back. For another two weeks,
0: you did, but you we didn't go anywhere with the boat. You just helped me clean the boat, that's yay! Ex- yes, that's and get ex- it all ready for another season.
1: <laughs> and that was that was an experience in itself, just learning what you had to do to get a boat ready for um, for the season. We kind of called it spring house cleaning, and we cleaned it from.
0: Well, no, we, we didn't. I that's when I put in the new toilets, mm-hmm. and I had a couple other big projects. You cleaned the inside from you know ceiling to floor you did right. the entire boat you took a week doing it and you did it really right. good but it wasn't both of us i was busy doing well, actual Your, dad, your maintenance. dad was
1: helping clean too but it but, was and he
0: did other he, right. you did most of the cleaning dad did a lot of other things right helping me get projects done and stuff but,
1: but. it was it was a good time and a a, a time that i cherished because it was time that the three of us spent together and um and it also gave me a perspective that you had always said running a charter boat is like having a bed and breakfast on the water and that it's not all fun and games and the luxurious life that people think that you're living. And after cleaning, you know, in the bowels of the boat, I now realize that that's the case. That has to all be cleaned up. The people that come on board are, this is their first time on board, and they want it to be... Pristine. They want to... Of course, um,
0: just like you would want a hotel. hotel to
1: be, yes. So. And
0: with that said, I mean, living on a boat is phenomenal and beautiful. I mean, you wake up and there's the blue water, unless you're on the ICW of the East Coast of America, and then there's the brown water. But, mm-hmm. you know, down in the Caribbean, there's the beautiful blue water. There's the beach over there, palm trees. You do have all that, but even when you're not running charters, it's not... All the time luxurious as everybody thinks it is, and just swaying palm trees type of thing. there are boat projects to be done and, and cleaning and all this. and Dad always jokes, but you know, I told him, you know the definition of cruising, and this is more of a joke than anything, but is basically doing boat projects in exotic locations,
1: right. And didn't you say everything you buy that has marine by it, you add an extra zero behind the?
0: Oh no, not a zero. You got to multiply it by like four. Okay. It yeah it yeah if it has marine on it it goes it's up. It's going to be
1: expensive. So um, let's go go back to some of the the life then that you have. So you go to shore, and you have errands that you want to do. Okay. Um, how do you take? I mean you obviously on your boat you didn't have a washer and dryer and
0: well should we back this up first off and you know but you asked me when i first did it first off you wanted to know how do i get to shore
1: well that's you true. didn't
0: understand that i had a dini which is a 12 right. foot foot inflatable boat i use an engine on it there are some people out there that row every day but i'm definitely an engine guy but when I was in Houston with the boat getting it ready before I took off and stuff, you wanted to know what I was going to do with my car and if I was going to take my car with me. (laughs) And I'm like, is she thinking I'm going to drive the car on the back of the boat and sail around with it? And you just had no clue. I did not. So um, to get to shore, we used the Dini. And then once I'm ashore, So
1: you anchor the
0: boat. Usually the boat is anchored out. Sometimes I use... tie up to a dock um, especially if i'm getting ready for a charter but i don't always do the charters you know i do a lot of charters but sometimes i'm out by myself cruising or that type of thing so we're out anchored and to get to shore you use the dini and then once you're ashore, the answer for that is very tough because it depends where i've been right there in st thomas i've got a buddy and him and i share a car so, we just coordinate with each other. We both have keys and we have a car to run errands, get groceries, do all that. And it's basically life that you have, except I live on a boat instead of in a house, but I have the car and all that. Uh, when I was doing the Gulf and East Coast of America, I used my bicycle a lot and I got two really nice sized saddlebags for the back of the bike and was able to, you know, even if the grocery store was a mile away, that wasn't that big of a deal. Now, granted, I have found about $150 worth of groceries is all I can really carry on the bike. And I look like a bag man when I do that because everything's hanging off everywhere. But And then when I'm cruising the Caribbean, a lot of the islands are a lot steeper than people think. And bicycles just aren't real practical. And there, you know, I use the bus system, I walk, you know.
1: But you keep your bike on on board all the time. I
0: do keep my bike on board. I'm not going to lie, the last seven years, I've probably pulled it out three, four, five times. Hmm. When I was in the Bahamas and in America, I used it a couple times a week.
1: So you had—well, um, I was there when you did laundry, but it was a little bit easier because you took it to a guy, and he did the laundry, and then we picked it back up and took it back and put it away. But you also have some stories about doing laundry, getting it done—
0: Well, for the most part, since I've been in the Virgin Islands, I have a guy in St. Thomas that does all my laundry. He picks it up from the boat, drops it off at the boat type of thing. And most of the time that laundry is after each charter, sheets, towels, all that type of stuff. But when I'm not chartering, you know, I can go about a month and then all my clothes are dirty. And a lot of places I have found still do pick up, drop off. You know, someone's got a little boat and they'll come pick it up and they run a laundromat. But if not, I beg everything up and carry it ashore. And sometimes I've done it on the bicycle where I had to ride a mile or two with a big duffel bag of clothes on my back or, you know, carry it. Or, you know, I've had times I've walked and someone's stopped and given me a ride to the laundromat type of thing and, and... that type of thing so
1: but you got to get it into the dinghy get it to yep. to shore and then the harder part then is making sure do you have it in like a waterproof bag or something so that
0: when you... usually no usually it's in big laundry bags but if it looks like it's going to rain you can always uh, make sure you have trash bags yeah. on the boat okay. and put the laundry bag in the trash bag but That's the scarier part is once the laundry's clean, you got to get it from shore out to the boat. And sometimes that's where you can have some issues with, you know, the waves and all that type of thing. But it's always an adventure.
1: (laughs) And laundry adventures. So as you've been out on the boat, have there been any times that you've been scared or gotten, you know, to where you were really fearful that something was not going to um
0: i would have to say no well that's good i haven't necessarily been scared there have been a few times i haven't been necessarily seasick but i haven't been happy either and usually that's your higher winds you know your upper 20s low 30s winds i mean if you get more wind than that it would be even worse but i try not to be out in that there were a couple times that I can remember I left the Abacos in the northern part of the Bahamas and I sailed about 60 miles south. Set sail right after a cold front went through because it gave me the direction of wind that I needed. And I was expecting 20 to 23 knots. It was more like 27 knots. And I basically just strapped in. I reefed the boat and I got it going the way I went. I sat in the helm and just hung on. And just let it go i wasn't worried or anything it was just you know pretty big waves and we just went and that was years ago but that's when i wrote the blog and it was titled hey don't tell my mom mm-hmm. and then i explained everything And of course phil came up and told you right away right but the time i was the most unhappy on board was in the southern bahamas i was by myself again and i was sailing from Rumkey, I believe, down to Mayaguana. And it, I've had times, that I've had higher winds, I've had more waves. I've, it, I've had other times that have been worse. But for whatever reason this day, I was just miserable. If someone would have offered me a decent amount of money, not even what I paid for the boat, but just a decent amount of money, I probably would have just said yes and taken the money and ran away right then. And then it got capped off the next morning I finally made it and I think that was like 23 hours that I sailed right then. Put the anchor down like eight or nine o'clock at night, took a shower, watched TV, went to bed. The next morning I woke up and my anchor got trapped under a rock ledge. And when I pulled it up, the anchor, the shackle holding the anchor to the chain separated. So my anchor's way down there, but my boat's not attached to anything anymore and it's drifting away. So I couldn't get it and I was frustrated, I love that anchor, it's like a $900 anchor. And so I marked it on the GPS and I went the 10 miles to Abrams Bay and I found a fishing man there and we went back in his little fishing boat and there's a whole story there. He kept going down, he had, um, they call it a uh, snuba, which is basically an air compressor with the hose so he could stay down. And he went down with a spear fishing pole Looking for my anchor, and he came up and his buddy driving the boat. He's like, Oh, I couldn't find your anchor yet, but here, buddy, take this lobster off my uh pole. I'm like, Great. And so I got the GPS again. I'm like, okay, it's somewhere right here. He went down again and he came up with another lobster. Oh, didn't find your anchor, but I got another lobster.
1: So were you paying for the, him for this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and
0: I pay, you know, and the the bad part, I went in looking and, and he said, Yeah, we can go do that. No problem, no problem. I kept asking. How much is it gonna be? How much, how much? And he kept, oh, don't, no problem, no problem. I'm like, no, how much is it gonna be? And his, he was like, how much money do you have on you? And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and so I I told him, you know, I have like $150 on me. And he's like, oh no, it won't be, it'll be $100. Which, to be honest, was a fair price. But the third time we were sitting there, he already got two lobsters and I had my little handheld GPS and I said, It's somewhere right here. But this time I had my gear on and I jumped in because I didn't think he was really looking. And it was in the sand and the chain had made little marks in the sand and it made this arrow right to the anchor. (laughs) I mean, it was like a neon sign, this thing. And I'm like, and as soon as I jumped in, he's like, oh, I found your anchor. It's right here, type of thing. And it was in 45 feet of water. I could have gotten it myself, but I couldn't leave my boat.
1: To go get it. go
0: get it because the boat would have floated away. As soon as we recovered that anchor, I was so happy. And I, you know, I actually lived off that happiness for like a year. It just, it, it was so revigorating to get that anchor back. And, and it was just really interesting after the day I had before that.
1: That's good. Yeah. As you're selling, what kind of safety measures do you take? I know that you kind of let your dad and I know I'm leaving and I will, you know, if you don't hear from me in seven days, you need to hmm. be concerned. But what other kinds of safety measures do you have in place?
0: Well, that's called a float plan. And, you know, I let you guys and I have a sailing buddy that knows. Cause I remember the first time I told you all that, I'm going from here, you know, point A to point B, it's going to take me this long, give me, you know, time and a half that just in case, and I took off. And when I got there, I called you guys. I was like, okay, you don't need to do anything. I'm here, and you're like, oh, were we supposed to do something if we didn't hear from you? (laughs) That's when I decided I probably needed to let a boat person know also. But so we do that, and we don't do that for charters. This is when we're-
1: Right, when you're sailing. When
0: we're sailing and cruising and that type of thing. But other rules I have on board, we have the lifeline around the boat and everything is locked up. You do not go over the lifeline. I have rules that during the day, if it's bad weather, we have life jackets on. If it's super calm, I'm okay if we don't wear our life jackets in the cockpit. But if you leave that cockpit, you put your life jackets on. At night, regardless of the weather, you always have your life jackets on. You never leave the cockpit at night unless someone else is in the cockpit watching you. And you mean
1: leave leave it to go where?
0: To go, let's say you have to go forward to take care of something, some of the lines or anything okay. like that. Or anything like that. And you're actually clipped into the boat in case you fall overboard, you are attached to the boat.
1: Okay. So if for some reason, you know, you tell mm-hmm. us that you're leaving and then in that amount of time we don't hear from you, we would contact the Coast Guard? Yes. And how far will Maybe it...
0: we should have talked about this before I left.
1: Right, right, well we've yeah. talked about it since, <laughs> but for, for the podcast we're talking about it. So how far will the Coast Guard, how far will they come if you, you know, if if we called and said, we haven't heard from our son, this is where we think he headed?
0: The Coast Guard is phenomenal. That's the easy answer, they, I have on All kinds of respect for the Coast Guard. And they will pretty much, especially if you can say he left on this day, he was going here, and you tell them about the boat, they will search that whole quarter and out from it based on currents. And, you know, in the Caribbean, you're probably not east of where you were supposed to be. You're probably west of it because the winds and the currents and that type of thing. But they do a very good job of search and rescue. And then on board, I also have an ePERB which if i activate it it sends out search and rescue anywhere in the world it may not be the u.s coast guard but they may coordinate with let's say i'm near thailand the thailand coast guard or other boats or container ships or whatever it will put out this whole network and they say once you use that epirb you depending where you are in the world but you might have someone there to rescue within 24 hours if not three days
1: that would be if you got to where you felt like i am in unsafe waters i don't know where i am or i don't know how to get someone then you would activate that and somebody would come
0: yes but But you've never done that i've never done that and it's more than what you're thinking it's not just oh i'm lost
1: no no i understand it. it
0: it's basically you need to activate the boat is going underwater with you know you need to activate that. The, the basic rule is you don't get into your life raft. You step up to your life raft, meaning your boat is underwater when you leave the boat to get into this tiny little life raft. The idea is it's easier to find a 40-foot catamaran than it is, say, a six-foot inflatable raft.
1: Right, okay.
0: So just because the weather's rough, you don't activate your EPIRB or anything like that. Now, if you're in a hurricane and your boat is floundering it's going down, then yeah, you do, but you know, you gotta be careful when you do that. It's life or death at that point.
1: Well, and you watch the weather, so you know right. that you're not going to go somewhere, that there's going to be bad weather. You had that experience this, um, this summer when you left the boat in Grenada.
0: This is true. And we didn't experience the bad weather. We, I had four people on board, and we were gonna sail from Grenada up to Puerto Rico, which is where I have hauled out the boat the last six years, I think. And when we, you know, I gave us a couple day grace period knowing weather, but it just happened to be that hurricane, I think it was Hurricane Burrell, smallish hurricane, very tight. I think it was a Cat 2, came through the middle of the Caribbean And it just happened to go through right about when we were going to be in that area. And so we postponed when I checked different things and this and that. And it just, it was not going to be safe or comfortable to set sail where we needed to go. We could have skirted the islands and gone up closer, anchored, and then try to get through. But unfortunately, everybody had flights they needed to get home. And if we had about two more days that they could have given me, we could have made it, but we couldn't. We weren't going to push it everybody changed flights they flew home from canada and i pulled the boat out there
1: and that was good that you Absolutely. were able to do that to be safe and even though you had your dry dock place in puerto rico you just made the decision that this was going to be the the safer most logical thing to do so that's good to know yep on the off season you do a lot of traveling and that's been that's been a lot of fun to watch all of that
0: the la- I've done, it was what, it's been three, four years, five years uh-huh. that I've done, and the last two years, I've also done a lot of cruising, which has been fun, because I cruised my first two years, and then these last two years, but in the meantime, I ran the charters, and basically pulled the boat out of the water, but yes, I have done a lot of traveling, and I just, I have a passion for the traveling side, and you know where I got that from?
1: From your father. From my father. Yes, I know. And
0: we traveled quite a bit but it was always within the US and there's nothing wrong with that there are right. some amazing places to see in the US but and we didn't go every year but when we went we went we went
1: and we learned very quickly not to say i wonder what because we were headed to whatever it was
0: yes and we yeah. never
1: we never had the experience of look, 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 click, 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 and get in the car and go. We experienced everything there was to see to the point that sometimes we were like, uh, we don't want to see another waterfall. Or
0: Yes, and I the memory that sticks out the most, I mean, not the vacations themselves, but like one particular memory, and I keep saying it was in the wrong area. I thought, it, I think it's Yellowstone, but I think it's a different place. I mean, I was only 12, but, me 12 aaron being 10 and then vance would have been five and we dragged him and all three of us climbed up a a glacier or a we snow were in alaska.
1: we were in alaska We were we in alaska yes, yes
0: but it wasn't just flat it was kind of steep and we were i don't know we had cardboard or something with us because we were going to go sledding in the middle of summer down this snow slope and y'all were worried about avalanches.
1: I used to have nightmares about that.
0: And so what did Dad do to get us down?
1: <laughs> got the bullhorn out. He got
0: the bullhorn out and yelled at us, get down, we're worried about avalanches.
1: Well, and everybody was watching. The, the whole camp where we had the motorhome park, they're all like, do you realize there are boys up on there? Yes.
0: It was an adventure.
1: It was an adventure that you took your practically baby brother on with you, but it, it was an adventure. Aaron
0: thought it was a good idea too.
1: I wonder if fans remembers any of that.
0: Oh, I'm sure I get in trouble for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so,
0: but anyways, so that's where I get my passion for traveling. But did you have specific travel questions?
1: Well, if you're as you're planning a trip, how do you go about deciding what you're going to do?
0: That's a good one. That's a good question. And because not everywhere I go each year really connects very easily with. The, all the places I go. So the first year, which would have been 2014, it started off with my college roommate, who happens to be named Shane also. Him and his family transferred. He was He's a doctor in the Air Force, I believe. He could be Army, but I think he's Air Force. And he was about an hour north of Venice. I think they got there like a month or two before that. And I said, this is awesome. Great. I'm coming to visit you. And And Venice for the longest time was my number one place I wanted to visit. So they said, sure. And I came and I visited him for a week. And three of those days, I took the train down to Venice and did that. After that, I left him and I decided, well, I'm in uh, Italy. Let me do the Northern part of Italy. And I did San Marino, which is another country. I didn't realize it at the time, but I said San Marino and Florence and Pisa, and I mean, just all kinds of places. And I did that for two, two and a half weeks, and that was my idea, and I was gonna fly home. Well, my friends from boating said in their off season, they were gonna do this, 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 and they were gonna end up in Paris to watch a Jimmy Buffett concert about the time that I would be flying home. And I'm like, aha, well, let me just take a train up there. And so I spent four days in Paris with Hank and Michelle, And we went, this was my very first Jimmy Buffett concert, which is the quintessential guy to listen to when you're a boat guy. And it was phenomenal. So that's how I got that. In 15, I went to Kyrgyzstan because another college friend had just moved there. And Kyrgyzstan, which most people don't even know where that is, but it's in the middle of Central Asia. And I happened to have a 12 hour layover in Dubai. So I was able to see all of Dubai. I'm told I saw in 12 hours what most people see in five days in Dubai.
1: How did you do that? Did you go on I a go, tour? I go, go,
0: boom, 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 boom. Just like that.
1: Did you go on a tour? Or? Nope,
0: no, nope, nope, nope. I just figured out where I wanted to go. I had my backpack on my back and boom, 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 boom. And I saw everything I could. And Dubai is a pretty amazing spot, but that's not the point. And then I did Kyrgyzstan with them and from kyrgyzstan i decided to fly to norway of all places and it's because i had some norwegian guests the new year's before that you know like six months or so eight months before that and it sounded wonderful so i went there and visited them for a couple of days and then did a hutaruten cruise if you will it's more their ferry slash freighter slash mail boat all the way up the norwegian coast
1: well, you make it sound like you're just very off the cuff doing your traveling, but your dad went to Russia with you in 2016. Well, that was yeah, that
0: was the next year. The reason that got started, I don't know if you know this whole story. When I flew from Norway the year before, I had a layover in Iceland, and I found out that you could have a free seven-day layover in Iceland because they want you to visit their country. And I said, next year, I need to do that. So it started with, I found my buddy, Eric, and we decided to do Iceland, and we're going to have a podcast about that because Iceland is awesome. But I started with Iceland, and then I wanted to end up in Japan for some reason. And I wanted to do a little bit in Europe or the Middle East again. But I said, you know, okay, I can do Iceland for a week, and then I could do three weeks in Europe, Middle East. And what would be the best way to get to Japan? I'm like, A train would be cool. What's the most famous train in the world? And I said, that would be the Oriental Express, which that's very expensive and very touristy. I said, what's the second most? And that's the Trans-Siberian train. And I did some research, and it's still there. And I said, who would like to go on this train more than anybody? And it was Dad. And I don't even think he got off the phone before he said yes. He was all over it. So we did that. And then it was like, well, if we're going all the way across Russia, why don't we just take the train and drop down into Mongolia. So we spent a week there. Well,
1: and I said all that because I, you know, you before you had made it sound like you just said, oh, well, I'm gonna go up here or I'm gonna go over here. But I just know how much planning went into getting that trip together. You pretty much knew what you were gonna be doing each day of the trip. You knew that when you were gonna get there, when you were leaving.
0: Yes and no. The Russia and Mongolia part, yes, we knew we were going to be in St. Petersburg this many days, Moscow this many days. And then the train dictated everything else. So we knew when we were going to be on the train and that type of thing. So but you are correct there.
1: So when you go to other countries, you don't, you're not It depends. Not like
0: Iceland, Eric and I, we, and Iceland's very easy because it's basically a ring road going around the island. But we knew we had 10 days and we wanted to. And we had a list of the things that we wanted to see that each of us wanted to see.
1: Did you have reservations at the no, hotels? Okay. we didn't do
0: hotels there though. That made it easier on that one
1: because you camped.
0: We camped in Iceland, and we just drove and did what we wanted until it, you know it's time to eat dinner okay. and sleep. And then I did the same thing. I did get hotels, but in Israel, in Jordan, I kind of did the same thing. You know, I I planned maybe the next two days, and I had a basic idea of where I wanted to go but I kind of let it dictate you know hey I'm having a good time here I'm going to spend an extra day here and and so usually I try to plan maybe 2 maybe 3 days in advance cuz you do need to get hotels right yeah but I do try to take it as it is also. In and that
1: kind of goes back to your childhood again.
0: Yes, because we never we, knew where we were, we were never,
1: As your grandmother told her preacher when we made that trip to Alaska, and he wanted to know where she was gonna be, what hotel she was gonna be in, and she said, you've never traveled with my son. He won't even know what state we're gonna be in, let alone what hotel we're gonna be at. So that that's... adventuresome spirit has
0: it's usually a great way to go there are some things you have to plan your trains your your planes well a lot of it you can take on the cuff but there have been a few times once my cousin said we need to get tickets when we were in edinburgh for the tattoo i had no idea what this was but this is something she wanted to do and she got tickets for us. Yeah, they may have been like 70 buck tickets. Something you want to do, fine. Here's the money. I had no idea. Turns out it was one of my favorite things in the entire Great Britain that we did.
1: And you wouldn't have been able to do it. Would
0: not. You, I mean, it was sold out. And I think none. it's a month-long, basically, military parade festival. And it was awesome. But it sold out the entire right. month
1: and it, we kind of do that when we travel right. too there are some things that we know that you've got to got a plan for but
0: well when i was in milan there was i didn't get to see it i really wanted to see the last supper painted by da vinci it's painted on the inside of a church wall unfortunately you have to buy your tickets two weeks ahead of time online i didn't know that and so i got there and i started planning milan like two days before and I went to the church, and to see if I could get in, there was just, I wasn't gonna be able to, so I did not get to actually, I saw the church, but I didn't get to see the Last Supper, which is a bummer, but I got to do a lot of other things that I wouldn't have been able to do if I planned everything.
1: And, and sometimes I think people overplan a vacation to the point that they don't enjoy what they're doing. So. I would
0: agree with you, and maybe I'm guilty of underplanning a little bit, but at the same time, I feel like, When I go somewhere, I try to see it like I'm never coming back. I think one of my talents is finding the really good stuff, whether it's just for me or other people. I've had some duds of things I've seen before. but And so have we. But I, you know, so I I like doing it that way. I do think I need to slow down a little bit. Maybe in Paris, enjoy a little more crepes and tea on the sidewalk and, and people watching a little right. more than I do, but you know, it is So what it out is. of
1: all of these places that you've gone, what has been your favorite place or favorite places? I won't try, I won't narrow <coughs> it down to one Well, place. I was gonna
0: say, you know, people ask me that all the time. And the problem with that is, it depends on what you're talking about. You know, Russia, I thought was unbelievable. It was a great opportunity. But quite frankly, it was only because I spent the month with dad. Now, granted, I didn't like hauling his suitcase full of rocks around, <laughs> which is his- Another
1: story in itself. Yeah,
0: which is his collections. But I had a wonderful time with dad. Russia and Mongolia themselves are okay.
1: But it's I, something you experience.
0: But it was with dad. If you're talking nature, by far it's Iceland. And that was unbelievable. It was so beautiful. And I don't think I'll find a place as beautiful as Iceland. It's like everywhere you turn, it's beautiful. But then Israel, from a religious and spiritual growth point of view, Israel was unreal. All those places we read about in the Bible, you go to Israel and you actually see it. And it starts making sense where, oh, they had to travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem it's only six miles well now you realize it's up and down it's in the desert but it's not like the desert you know sand type of desert it's more of a rock desert you understand you know why settlements are in certain areas and it's because of oasis and and springs and that type of thing you know just little things I saw this sycamore tree that Zachariah Zacchaeus Zacchaeus climbed in you know, just these little things that really brought all these stories. You know, I, I know they're real, but they really brought them to a point. And you're like, you can visualize it. And, and where Jesus was born, we think of a barn, but it was actually a cave right. that they had it in. I mean, just things like that that were fantastic. And, you know, Rome is, there will never be a city that I love more than Rome. And I've only spent three or four days there. But Rome is Unbelievable some of the places are like sea list items in rome they would be the highlight of any other city but there's so much to do in rome and i love rome i love being in the bahamas you know i do love cruising and, and going and besides all the popular places when i cruise i also kind of seek out some of these places that no one ever goes to um, in the bahamas there's hoxtai reef which is this little three mile by five mile reef that's underwater i mean very little of it's above water and we spent two days there and people still talk about that they've never been there or where is that and they've done the bahamas and and i've got a friend who says that you know no one ever goes there but we went there type of thing so
1: we talked about this podcast and i was a little worried that we weren't going to have enough time to i mean enough stuff to talk about and here we have talked for getting close to an hour but one of the things that i think that the people listening to it would like to know is you know any advice that you have for them it's a travel podcast so i'm sure they would like to know do you have advice for people that are getting ready to travel that maybe haven't gone out of the country or even in the united states what kinds of things should they do
0: well and that's first off i want to tell you you're right i mean that's the fun thing about talking about traveling or boats cruising It's amazing how quickly the time can pass, and just talking about it, it just, that's why I just love doing it, and I'm thinking this podcast is gonna be really fun to do. Now, as far as your question, the biggest advice I would give is, for overseas, I've heard people say, oh, I don't wanna go to that country because I don't speak Spanish, or Italian, or French, or whatever, and my advice, just go. You're gonna have a wonderful time. Yes, you may not understand everything, but you will find people that speak English everywhere in the world. So don't let that limit you. And one of the things with dad, we were in Russia, and he's like, how are we gonna eat? Everything's in Russian, how are we gonna eat? I'm like, can you see pictures? Pick a picture and tell him that, and they will bring it to you. You may have a less of a selection, because you only have so many pictures, and then the other funny part is, like I said, you'll find English more than you know. We are on the trans siberian train that is mostly for Russians. Some tourists do it. And Dad looks at the menu and throws it down in disgust and says, There's no pictures. I'm not going to be able to eat for a week. And I'm Dad, Dad, why don't you just read the English words under the Russian ones? So that's the big one. Don't, don't let language be the thing that stops you. Another big piece of advice, I'm always told that within a couple days I'm kind of, you know, local, not as far as speaking or anything like that, but I can navigate. And one of the easiest ways to do that is when you have Wi-Fi, download a map of the city or the country, whatever you are. And then when you're offline, your GPS will still work. So you can have a map on your phone of wherever you are and it will tell you where you are. And then if you have to find say a certain restaurant or more importantly a hotel, before you leave your first hotel, pin it and then go offline and you know on the map where it is and you know where you are because of your GPS and you can get there very easily without having to have the chance of being hustled by someone giving you quote unquote directions. The other thing is try the local food. It's amazing how many people go travel even within the US, you go travel and then you eat at McDonald's or Red Lobster or whatever. You know, If you go to, let's say Florida and you're in the middle of Florida, try the rock shrimp. You're not gonna have that anywhere else except the central Florida uh, coastal area. If you were in South Carolina and you love Texas barbecue, try South Carolina barbecue. It's different than what I grew up in Texas. You know, So outside the U.S., definitely try the local food. Don't go straight to the American restaurant or whatever. Now, with that said, there's been times that I've been overseas for months, you know, two months or so, you crave your, your food. And so there have been times i found an American, quote-unquote, 50s diners and, and had a burger and milkshake and, and that type of thing. But it's really fun to try the local food wherever you are
1: really done a good job of covering all of the questions that I had and giving me a good perspective of, of what you've done. Of course in the 10 years you've been doing this, you've been good about keeping us appraised of what you're doing and where you are and we love looking at your pictures and kind of traveling vicariously with you through all of that. But, and
0: with me on some of it in and, actuality. Right,
1: and actually with you, but but it's been fun, and, and this has been fun, to to uh, do this with you, a new experience of doing a podcast.
0: So. Well, and you came up with some very good questions, so I appreciate your help. Everybody out there, all my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this very first Guiding Light podcast. To get to know me and what this podcast is going to be about, I hope you found this format to be very useful and entertaining I hope we become one of your podcasts that you listen to. I'm going to try to put one out every two weeks. You can't hold me to that, but I'm going to try to do every other Saturday. So with that said, I'm Shay McClellan, and I have to close with my very traditional line on my travel videos, which you should check out on my website. But may you have fair winds and following seas.